0: Tonight on 60 Minutes, there's an interview with uh, Tristan Harris. He knows a lot about the technology that goes behind smartphones. Uh, Tristan Harris, he says this, he says the "The smartphone is a slot machine. Why? Because every time that you look at it, you check to see what you got. In other words, you pull the lever, this proverbial lever, and you expect to get some kind of prize. Well, you say, well, you know, I've used my smartphone and I press buttons and I don't get any kind of money. Nothing come pouring out. Nevertheless, you expect a prize. And he says, this is one of the ways that they use to hijack people's minds by creating a habit. Hmm. That's what he says. And then he goes on to say that the apps are created in order to constantly draw you back to them. Your apps are designed so that after you're finished, You want to go back and check again. Remember they used to call Blackberries, Crackberries, remember that? But anyway, as an example, how does your smart device or the apps draw you back? For instance, uh, those of you who use it, you know, you oftentimes check back to see how many likes you have on Facebook because of something that you posted. Or on Instagram, or what about those uh, pretty little emojis that people send you in their text messages? Or uh, what about uh, if you're a twit on Twitter, how many how many uh, uh, followers you have on Twitter? He says that these are techniques, so they're not just inventing these things all willy nilly. I want you to know. They're not creating these things all willy-nilly. He says they are purposely creating these things in order to get you to use their products as much as possible. So when you think, well, i got to go back and check. i got to go back and check. i got to go back and check. What's happening is you are actually being manipulated. And you think that, no, I don't have to do it. And then you realize, if you decide to put that thing down for a couple of days, how much you have developed a habit inside of your heart. As an example, uh, they say that Snapchat uses something called streaks, right? And streaks, they are in place to keep track of how many days in a row uh, that you and someone else go back and forth in your messages, So the idea is that uh, you do it on day one, day two, day three, day day four, and so on and so forth, you develop a streak. And eventually, you reach a place, you say, well, you know what, I don't want to break my streak. So ultimately, you try to go back. And as a matter of fact, he's even said that. What happens is, is even for some some teenagers, even when they are required to in in their households not to uh, be on their cell phones, They give their friends their their ID numbers and their passwords so their friends can go back and forth uh, in their identity so they can maintain their streak. Do you think that that's in place, that you have that desire simply because you just have the desire? It's all these folks behind the corporate mask that they are manipulating you. They are manipulating us to come back and do more and more and more. Do you think they're designed to help you? Really? Do you think those, most of those apps are designed to help you? Or do you think they're designed to keep you using their products? You know, our motives are some very tricky things. Some people are so used to doing things that they develop a habit and don't realize why or how they do it so much. On the other hand, like some of those corporations, uh, they are very manipulative. You know, they have motives behind the whole thing. Well, today's message, in the sense, is about the coming of the kingdom of God, And how some people were receiving the kingdom, how they were understanding the kingdom of God as Christ was coming forward. The question is, how did they receive the kingdom? Was the kingdom welcome based on its own merits? Or did people have other things in mind? We'll look at this in terms of a few prophetic insights followed by uh, the understanding of that fulfillment. So we'll have a prophetic insight, followed by the fulfillment. A prophetic insight, followed by a fulfillment. And our goal today is to ensure our motives are correct in seeking God's kingdom. And if you haven't been seeking his kingdom, we pray that you would open your heart to receive its king. Mark chapter 11, verse 1. Mark 11, verse 1. A prophetic insight number 1. Here it is. The preparation of Jesus' entry. Verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it, and bring it. If anyone that says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. So Jesus he instructs his disciples to prepare for his entry. He tells two of his disciples to uh, go into the village in front of them. Very interesting, it's like uh, you had to tell them to go into the village in front of them. Why didn't Jesus simply say, go into such and such a village? Well, it was probably just so obvious uh, that he says, uh, go into the village right there. But no one questioned Jesus as to how he knew the donkey was there, and that it was tied up, and that it had not been ridden by anyone yet. No one said, well, uh, Lord Jesus, I hear what you're saying, that you want me to go into the village to get this donkey that's tied up, that hasn't been written before, but I want to know, how did you know this? (laughs) There was no one around uh, who spied out the land in advance to tell Jesus what was in that town, like that donkey. But then again, Right? Some scholars say that maybe Jesus was so familiar with the area uh, that he knew what was going to be in place. But how could that be? How could he actually know as a person, just by e- experiencing it one time, going into the village one time, that everything would be in, to, would be in place? That wouldn't explain how he knew all the minutiae of details that, that donkey not only would be tied up, but he wouldn't be written. No one has ever written him before. How would he know this? And this all points to the fact of Jesus' omniscience. Amen? And you know about Jesus' omniscience because Jesus' omniscience is his what? He knows everything. Try it again that Jesus knows everything, right? No, not in a know-it-all charge that we typically level against a friend of ours or a brother or sister. Oh, you think that you are know-it-all, right? You you are know-it-all. Well, God, he does know it all. But he knows it all, all because he is God. So Jesus indeed did know it all because he was divine, And this is a striking difference between God and people. You see, we know things because we learn, right? We know things because someone has told us, right? We know things because we've read a book or we've gone to school, right? Or we've been around people who've, who've experienced it. But God, he knows things because he created all things. God does not need to learn Nor does God need a drone to hover over your house. He doesn't need to Skype. He does not need to be on Facebook Live, Snapchat, Instagram, Ugram, or Graham Crackers. That Jesus doesn't need to have the latest newspaper to find out what's the latest and the greatest. Uh, God, he knows. But unlike many kings, many leaders that we know who assume a position. In verse 3 here in Mark chapter 11, Jesus explains that when he is done with the donkey, he's going to return it. Right? Come on, you're God. You don't have to return that donkey. So uh, the fact that Jesus demonstrates his integrity demonstrates his humility even as the God-man. It's something for us to look up. You know, face it, uh, many of you have experienced, at least in times past, I'm not sure in times present, many of you have, have experienced uh, certain people who have uh, uh, assumed certain positions of leadership. And you may have even have been in, in, in companies this way. Well, I've, I've never been in this situation before because I wouldn't let it happen, right? But, but sometimes you may have been in a situation where someone comes and says, you know, let me borrow your stuff, yes. and then they somehow forget to return it, right? Yes. And you, you may go back and say, uh, did you forget to return my, my whatever it is, my ink pen? They may tell you, no, not yet. I, I'm still working with it. Right? Now I know some of you, uh, some of you uh, wouldn't allow that either, amen? You know, somebody take your stuff, you know, you know, I want my stuff back, right? But some folks, you know, I, I've known in the past, you know, growing up even as a child, all in the hood. You know, sometimes I've seen people in authority come and take stuff and they take it and basically say, what you going to do about it? But Jesus being God, when he could have, because uh, remember, in the beginning, God did what? He created the heaven and the earth. Uh, there's nothing made that was, that was made, right? Uh, Jesus created all things, right? So it rightfully, you know the job that you're on, that Jesus created the job somehow in some way so that you can get paid, Amen. You know that the check that you receive from that job, that that rightfully belongs to the Lord, amen? So even when you don't give back to the Lord, God has said, all right, now it belongs to me anyway. You either give me some or I take it all. He says, well, I just, you know, I just need to, I, I, I need to go out this time. Jesus said, okay, go ahead. Anyway, I don't mean to talk about that, but everything The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. That's what the Scripture says. But what's even more remarkable about all of this is that here is a time that, uh, with this prophetic utterance, that Jesus allows others to honor him. Jesus allows others to honor him. You see, at other times, when they try to reveal who Jesus was or to say that this is the king, Jesus says, shut up! Right? Well, what are you talking about? Come on. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. Remember this encounter uh, with the demonic? Verse 24. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Verse 25, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, "Uh, uh, Be silent, be quiet, and come out of him. Hmm. And look at John chapter 6, verse 15. John chapter 6, verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force, To make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Look at that. Here was a case in which maybe they recognized that this guy here, that he's going to be our king. Let's grab him and let's make him king. But when they tried to do that, what happened? Jesus just disappeared off the sea. He says, "Uh uh-uh, it's not going to happen. You see... The right situation with the wrong timing makes the whole thing wrong. Or you can have what you think to be the right timing and the wrong situation or the wrong people, that also makes it wrong. It must be the combination of the timing, the people, and the situation when it all clicks together that makes it all right. So you see, at those times... It was not right for Jesus to be pronounced king. He certainly wouldn't be pronounced king by the demonic realm and definitely wouldn't be uh, pronounced king by force. So look here, brothers and sisters. Don't go into a situation just because it's something you always wanted to do. I know that uh, some of you, uh, just like me, that you may have been praying for something. You've been praying for God to open a door. And the first door that opens, the first thing you want to do, you want to dive through. Oh, this must be of the Lord. Let me dive on through. But you know what? If it's not of the Lord, you may, you may dive on through and break your crown. The Lord must give the Okay so don't be in such a rush to try to force the hand of God what does God say well I I can't hear what God is saying so since I can't hear what God is saying I'm going to go ahead and do no what did God tell you to do uh, do before well he told me to stay on this track but this door is open and I've been praying to God I'm ready to jump on through but I'm not hearing from him so I'm going to go ahead and jump on through anyway you're going to get hurt you're going to get hurt You better know that it is from the Lord. Anyway, the uh, prophetic fulfillment. The prophetic fulfillment of what God, what Jesus spoke about going and taking care of these uh, particular issues. Uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 4 through 6. The disciples prepare. They went away and found the coat tied at the door outside in the streets. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to him, What are you doing untying the coat? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. So in obedience to what the Lord told them, uh, they found everything just as Jesus instructed. You see that? When you are obeying God, you will find everything just as He had already determined. Do you realize that? If you don't know anything else, At least say, Lord, before I go into this situation, I'm going to pray to you and I'm going to ask you, Lord God, is this something I should be doing? At least give God the priority. So they follow Jesus' explicit instructions on how to proceed in a possibly explosive situation. What do you mean by that? Imagine if you would, right? If you were uh, walking down this street out here in front of the church, Right? And uh, you said, you know what, I see that there is a car running in the driveway, so I have need of it. Uh, so therefore, I'm going to jump into that car, uh, whatever kind of car that you like. If you don't like cars, maybe you like bicycles, right? Uh, I'm going to jump into the car on that bicycle, and I'm just going to ride away. Imagine what would happen to you if you did that. Taking people's stuff without asking. Why and who would allow someone just to come and take things just because they need it? Huh. It had to be of God. Consider this. Jesus sent someone else to take things in his stead. Isn't that fascinating? It's like, sending, it's like sending your child to the grocery store. If you can imagine, it's not the same thing, right? But it's like sending your child to the grocery store. Would you go in there and get a loaf of bread? Just grab the loaf of bread and walk on out. And if they ask you, tell them I sent you. Well, you know that's not going to work. At least, at least have the courage enough to go with them. But in this case, Jesus did not go with them. He told them what to do. Why? Because this was all backed up by hundreds and hundreds of years of prophecy. But it was just as Jesus had told them. Therefore, it was no surprise when they encountered a few issues. You, you see, sometimes this is very important for us to sometimes even rehearse before we make that next move, amen? Sometimes it's important that we rehearse when we, uh, before we share the gospel, amen? There's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes it's important that we rehearse. If someone comes at me in a negative way, how will I respond? How will not I not get angry? How will, I, uh, not just, uh, how will I not just start crying when someone talks to me? How will I respond in that situation? Sometimes it's very helpful to know how you're going to respond before you enter the situation. Prophetic insights, number two. The entry of the king. Matthew chapter 21, verse 5. So uh, what's happening here is that uh, I'm kind of stacking these verses on top of each other as we move chronologically through this story. Matthew 21, verse 5. The entry of the king. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Jesus again is about to fulfill a prophecy about himself. The prophet Zechariah heard from God and knew plenty and declared God's word that it would come to pass. Look at Zechariah 9 and 9. Zechariah chapter 9 verse If you are slow to the draw, write it down and catch up with me a little bit later. Amen? Zechariah 9, verse 9. Zechariah says it this way. Rejoice greatly, O, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal. Of a donkey. Now, there is another, uh, and, and some of you, especially if you've been with me for any period of time, you know about this already. There's another translation that oftentimes they quoted from in the Old Testament, uh, in the old, uh, in the beginning of the New Testament times, and that Old Testament was called, and that Old Testament was called the Septuagint, was which was a Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. But I wanted to read you this same verse out of the Septuagint, and it says it this way. And this is a little closer to what you see quoted in uh, uh, Matthew 20, 21. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Announce, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes to you, righteous and able to keep alive. He is humble and mounted upon a mule, even a young foal of an ass. Right. So in this case, within the Septuagint is closer This is closer to the translation that we find there in Matthew 21. So the one part we know the best is the Messiah will come riding on a donkey. But also know that the Messiah, uh, the Christ, would also be righteous and bringing salvation or some kind of help. So in the context of the Old Testament, You recall that many of the kings were evil, right? Uh, That, you know, there were some, we remember King David, that he was righteous. We remember even King Solomon, uh, that he started off good, that he quickly, you know, made a a left turn there. There there were some down the line who were good, but many of the kings of the Old Testament, you know, they had this, this wicked stint in them. Here, the scripture says that this king that would come, that he would be righteous and that He's coming, and that He's humble. Lord knows that we need King Jesus today. Amen? We need our King to be righteous and to offer the help that people are longing for. Our country needs King Jesus. But remember this, though. If Jesus comes back today, all of your friends and your families that don't know Jesus you know where they're going, right? So therefore, if we say that, Jesus, we want you to hurry up and come, you better start thinking about your family and friends, amen, and start praying for them and start praying that uh, the, the breath of life that God gives through Jesus Christ would come upon them and they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, even if you don't like them. Think about it. What reason did God have to like you? You were born. You were born in sin. The moment that you jump out and jump out of your mom and into this earth, you were in sin. So if God was able to show love to us, we should do what? In terms show love for others. Absolutely. We need to do that. So the purpose, though, for us knowing that Jesus' fulfilled prophecy is to confirm who he is. This is why all of these prophecies have come into being, and we read in the Old Testament, brought into the New Testament, uh, this describes Jesus. Jesus fulfills all these things. Uh, These prophecies are letters that were sent hundreds of years in advance, or in some cases thousands of years in advance, uh, which speak of what will happen that spoke of Jesus Christ. And then that prophecy was fulfilled. Mark chapter 11, verses 7 through 11. Jesus enters as humble king. And they brought the coats to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. He sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road. And others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he! Who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. It's very easy for us to overlook the clarity of scripture. Especially when we decided how things should go in advance. So look. The context of this passage is clearly set in the prophecy of Zechariah, as we already read in Zechariah 9 and 9, who lived hundreds of years before Christ. Now, while every aspect of that prophecy has not yet been fulfilled, it was set into motion. So, What do I mean by that? You see, all of Israel, all of Israel was well positioned to receive every blessing that God had for them. Right, and we, all we have to do is think of uh, all the Jews that we are familiar with today and when you think of Israel today you realize that they were well positioned to receive their king but here as we read in our passage even though that they were well positioned to receive their king they couldn't see who he was yes they had Palm branches that they were waving, but they couldn't see who he was. Well, uh, well what do you mean by that? It's kind of like I know uh, I, I know I have friends and and uh, uh, other folks that I know. As you uh, begin to age, as some of you 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 have old eyes already, but you know how it is. You know, sometimes you're reading things. Uh, thank God I don't have that problem so I can read close and far away. Amen. But you know how it is when you reach a certain point point. you're trying to read things, right? And you can't quite see and you start doing one of these things, right? You're trying, to, you're trying to get clarity so you can actually see. And then when you realize that you can't quite see, then you end up putting on your what? Your glasses are popping in. Some of you, uh, some of you don't need glasses, Right. Amen. Uh, You you pop in a second pair of eyeballs, right? And you pop them in your eyes so you can see better. Right? So for uh, the children of Israel here in this context, as they saw Messiah coming in, they were looking, but they were looking without their glasses. They thought that this was one, but... They couldn't see, so they began to celebrate. They began to squint their eyes at the anointed one. And what was preventing them from seeing clearly was that the Spirit of God had not come over them. So they were blind. Not able to discern the person of Christ. Just like people we know, you tell them about Christ, uh, but they don't want to hear this. They can't see, they can't understand, much like how we were. They saw this Messiah, probably recognized Jesus as being the one who would finally set them free from years of persecution and trouble on every side. Yet, they didn't see. They skipped over the part about him uh, coming, uh, humbled and riding on a donkey. Mark 11, verse 9. Uh, Hosanna, yes. Hosanna, no. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. The crowd cried out to Jesus, Hosanna. What does that mean? We've, in our day, come to utilize terms like <clears throat> Hosanna as being that of praise. That when we say Hosanna, we're saying, uh, almost saying like hallelujah or, 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 or praise or something like that. Or celebrates. But take a look at Psalm 118, verse 25. Psalm 118, verse 25. It says this. Save us, we pray. O oh Lord, O oh Lord, we pray. Give us success. The word Hosanna means to save. The word Hosanna means to help. So when they were crying out Hosanna they were saying save us Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord help us this was the cry of the people of Israel. They needed saving. But it was not the saving, uh, here it is now, it was not the same saving that Christians normally associate with redemption. Right? So when we think of saving, we think of you give your life to Christ, uh, you, you, you repent of your sins. And, and God, will, uh, God will bring you into eternity and you will be connected uh, forever with the Lord. It wasn't that. For them, it had a totally different meaning. They wanted help out of their political situation. They had been trapped, as some of you know, by the Assyrians. And then by the Babylonians and then the Greeks and now the Romans. They were tired. Tired of bowing kowtow to any nation that decided to uh, come their way and take control of their land and their destiny. They were fed up. So when they see this Jesus, they got their clothes. They got branches and they began to wave them saying, Hosanna! Save us! out of this political situation. Save us from military conquests. They weren't thinking about God. They had been pers- They had been oppressed. Consider that. When we do have palms on Palm Sunday, why do you have it? Is it in your hand because you are recognizing that the possibility that Jesus Christ that he's going to come or that he saved your life or you're saying that you know what I need to have success in my life. I need a better job and this represents what Jesus is going to do for me. Do you realize that when we read the scripture that there is a great air of hypocrisy of those who are waving the palms? Do you realize that That they did not have a full understanding who this Christ was. And we know that because ultimately they ended up rejecting him. So that when you have a palm in your hand, what does it mean? What does it really mean when you have it in your hand? Are you really saying that you're going to live for Messiah? That you're going to live for Christ? Is this what you're saying? Or are you saying, I got another toy from church. Will you be like the Jews of old or will you truly act redeemed? One more verse. It's way out of order. Matthew, I mean Mark chapter 11 verse 1. Hmm. How do you do all that then all of a sudden now he's back at verse 1? <laughs> now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethsphage, in Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples. All right, we kind of heard some of that, so what can be instructive about that? Meaning. Names have meaning. If your last name happened to be Baker, somewhere down the line, some of your ancestors probably baked for a living. In this case, the name Bethphage, it means, and also Bethany, means house of unripe unripe dates, or house of unripe figs or dates. In other words, that As Jesus entered into this place, these people had not yet matured enough to receive and understand and see who Jesus was. Why? Because they were unripe and they weren't ready. So therefore, when Jesus came, they focused on the wrong things. What then shall our understanding be about the palms we receive on Palm Sunday? Is it to welcome the king in his kingdom for our own personal benefit like money, position, and even power? Or is it to receive and to place trust in the Christ who will truly save us from death and ourselves? Palm Sunday. It's really... Ironic. Of all things, this verse is ironic. And it's not, not only ironic in terms of what we see, but in terms of how we have lived our life, how we have held these strong, leafy things in our hands. The presence of Jesus should have jilted the Jews into spiritual reality instead of spiritual atrophy. But it didn't happen. So when we receive our palms, is it done with complete ignorance of the coming of the king? Or is it for personal reasons? Or will we really have an open heart towards Jesus and welcome the true king? King Jesus.